like I said, the topic of the sermon today is heaven part two. If you want to hear part one, you can go back, you go to our YouTube channel and it's on there uh, from January. And I did want to make the point that part of the outline for today's message is from a sermon by Charles Spurgeon titled Four Tastes of the Heavenly Life. I read that sermon this week in preparation and I was so uh, blessed by it that I wanted to go ahead and just take his outline and then build on it from there. It's a, it's a beautiful message. If you ever get a chance to read Charles Spurgeon's sermons, I would highly recommend it. They are definitely a blessing. But what I want to start with, um, there's so much to preach on. There's so much to share on the topic of heaven. Um, it's such a vast topic. And um, it's really something that we should meditate on and focus on as Christians during our entire Christian walk. And part of what I wanted to get into before I get into the outline that I put together is a perspective from Paul. And Paul provides a mysterious reference to heaven, about heaven to us uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. And Paul writes, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So anybody that's familiar with Paul and his writings, his epistles, knows that Paul was a persecutor of the church he hated the Christian message. He was totally against the message of Christ. He was persecuting Christians and sending them to be killed for their faith because he believed that the Christian faith was apostate. So what happened with Paul is on the road to Damascus to gather Christians to take them away for trial, the Lord came to him. And he shined a bright light around him. And that's when Paul was converted. The Lord said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he made clear to him that this was Christ speaking to him through this bright light. Uh, you can read about this uh, in the book of Acts. It's such a beautiful writing that Paul shares with us. But what he's writing about here in 2 Corinthians is he's talking about what he experienced in this revelation from Christ. And this is the reason why Paul's ministry was so profound, and it's why his letters are such a blessing to us because of what he was shown by the Lord himself. He says he was caught up into paradise. He says he was caught up to the third heaven. Now, there's speculation on what the third heaven is. Some say that the first heaven is the atmosphere with the clouds and the birds. You could say that, you know, the, the air around us. And the second heaven is the sky and the stars. And then the third heaven is heaven or paradise, the dwelling place of God. That seems accurate. I tend to lean towards the fact that it's also, uh, we're talking about different dimensions here. Um, so we could go into that in more detail later. But Paul says he was caught up into the third heaven and that he visited paradise in the spirit by the power of the Lord. So this was obviously the most transforming experience in Paul's life. It's what led him to do what he did in ministry. And you guys, I apologize. I forgot to change the slides. 
Um, that was the first verse I shared. Now let's look at Galatians 1, 15 through 18. Paul says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, who is Peter, and remained with him 15 days. Now, the reason I share this as, Paul, as part of Paul's experience is I've always liked the fact that Paul had this amazing revelation of Christ. He was taken up to paradise. He was told what his ministry would be. But what he did is he did not immediately enter into ministry. It says he did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did he go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before him. But he went away into Arabia, returned to Damascus. Then after three years, he went up to Jerusalem. So I'll let this. the reason I share this in this part of this message is I think this shows us that Paul spent three years just in prayer learning how to pray, learning how to commune with the Lord, deciphering and filtering through and trying to figure out all of the things that the Lord had shown him to gain that clarity that he needed. And I've shared this with many that get into ministry because it's very common in, in our day and age. Somebody uh, believes they're called to ministry and they immediately want to go to Bible college or seminary or whatever it is. And I often counsel people, just sit back study the word for a few years and see where the Lord leads you. Because I can tell you from my own experience that he will lead you down paths that you can't imagine. He'll do much more with you if you're open to the Holy Spirit. And I think that's what Paul was experiencing here. But then he tells us in Philippians uh, 1, 21 through 25, he writes, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So he was living as a new creation in Christ and he considered death as gain. He knew he was going to ex be experiencing something much better if he were to leave this physical plane that we exist on. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He rejoiced in the labor that he was engaged in, in the service of Christ, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. See, Paul knew that he was close to the end here, physically. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, Paul was speaking from experience here. See, that's why this is such a beautiful portion of Scripture. He had witnessed the revelation of Jesus Christ. He had been taken up to paradise and gotten a glimpse, more than any just about any human being has ever had, of what the heavenly realm in Christ's presence is like. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul understood the importance of the proclamation of the gospel in this world. And he knew how, how important that work was. <clears throat> Excuse me. Convinced of, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So Paul makes the point that to be away from here, to be with the Lord, was far better than anything we could ever have, possess, or experience on this plane. He knew that it was much better to be with Christ. So he's telling us that heaven is beyond anything this world can offer us. It's a much better place. 
It's a very inspiring message that he gives us. The reason he stayed is because he knew the importance of his ministry in the service of the Lord and the gospel and the cause of Jesus Christ. So this is sort of a prelude to the message today. So even while we're on earth, one point, what I want to get across here is even while we're on earth, we can learn some of what heaven will be like from the blessings that we have while we are here. Obviously, not every Christian has the experience that Paul had, that profound revelation that he had on the road to Damascus, where the Lord showed him so much and gave him such a, an amazing knowledge and wisdom of the gospel and showed it to him in a very supernatural way by taking him up to the third heaven. Not everybody's going to experience that. So how do we understand what heaven is? How do we get to get a taste of what it will be like when we pass from this life to the next? And then when the Lord returns and we, and we're, uh, we inhabit the new heavens and the new earth, right now I'm mainly talking about the heaven that we go to in our rest between now and that final day, but they have a lot of similarities. So even while we're on earth, we can learn some, some of what heaven will be like from the blessings that we have while we are here. The way I want you to look at this is if you read through scripture, what do we see all through the Old Testament? We see prefigures and shadows of the gospel and of Christ. And I think what we have here in the, on the physical plane is prefigures and shadows of where our eternity is going to be like in Jesus Christ. And then another point I want you to consider is that probably no two Christians have had the same views of heaven. Consider that we all walk with the Lord in intimate communion as if it was just he and us. We've all seen that picture of the footsteps in the sand. It's us walking with the Lord, one-on-one -on -one relationship. And heaven will be both intimate communion with the Lord and also blessed fellowship with him and our brethren. And this is one of the fascinating things to, to ponder and consider about our relationship with Christ in eternity. It will be as if it's just him and us. But he's like that with every believer because he's free of the constraints of time and space. So we'll have an intimate one-on-one -on -one relationship with him. He will have that with every believer in a very unique individual way. But beyond that, we will enjoy the fellowship of being with other believers in his presence. It's awesome. John 21, 20 through 22 says, Peter turned. And this verse may seem like it doesn't apply to what I just shared, but I'll explain why I think this verse does. This is at the end of Christ's, uh, after Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection before he ascended. And he meets his disciples on the beach and he's walking down the beach with Peter. And this is after Peter had denied him three times. And now the Lord is bringing him back into the flock and he's showing him that he has a, an amazing ministry for him. And he's trying to just start conveying to him what his ministry is going to be. And it says, Peter turned. Sorry, I forgot to turn to this verse. Uh, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? This is John, the writer of the book, referring to himself. That's who Peter's talking about. So, so Jesus is walking with Peter down the beach. John is just a little bit away from them. So Peter saw, turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? 
When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? He points to John. And Jesus said to him, if, if it's my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that John was never going to die, that he was going to remain until the Lord returns on the final day. He was just saying, even if it's my will that, that he remains uh, until I come, what is that to you? Don't worry about his ministry. You follow me. You each have an individual walk. You follow me. And that carries on into the heavenly realm. We each will have our individual service, our individual relationship with Christ. Everything will be very unique for each individual believer. What an awesome truth that is. So now I want to consider what is heaven? On the last sermon, I remember I spoke a lot about what heaven was not. It's not pain. It's not suffering. It's not illness. All the bad of this world is not there. You see? But I want you to think about what is heaven. And this list is not an exhaustive list. It's just some ideas to consider when we meditate or we uh, commune with the Lord and we study his word and we try to get an idea or a glimpse of what heaven is. First of all, heaven is a place of security. It's a place of security. Now, that's an interesting word. What is the thing that people strive for? so much on this plane, security. People want to know that they've got enough money to be secure. They want to know that their health is good, so they're secure in that. But what do we never achieve here? From what is What can this world never give us? It never gives us pure, true security. The only security that there is in this universe, the only true lasting security is in Jesus Christ. That's why it's so comforting to be in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're firmly placed upon the eternal rock, which is our salvation. That is who Christ is. We will have security in heaven, knowing that we are free from temptation and sin. This walk in the flesh, as we walk with Christ, is a constant struggle. We're constantly buffeted by temptation. We're always wrestling against the fleshly desire, the, the, the desires of the flesh, that seek to pull us away and corrupt our walk with Christ. So it messes with the security that we have in him. That will be gone. The strength and fortitude and perseverance that we pray for here will be complete and uh, perfected there. Think about that. We pray for strength. We pray for fortitude. We pray that we can persevere. We're commanded in scripture to persevere in the faith. But those are things we have to strive for and struggle for as we're in the flesh. When we're there, those things will be complete and they will be perfect. We will no longer have to wrestle to have them. The abilities that we're blessed with here, which are far beyond us, are a glimpse of the final glory that we will have there. See, if you're in Christian ministry and you're serving the Lord, which all Christians should be, you start realizing as you walk with Christ that you have talents you weren't aware of before. You may be faced with circumstances or trials, and you will overcome them with a strength, <coughs> excuse me, which is beyond your own ability. We'll be blessed with a faith that we only have because of the faith of Jesus Christ that he instills in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So those things are a foretaste of what we will be blessed with completely and perfectly in heaven with the Lord. 
Perseverance will no longer be required. We will not have, what does persevere bring to mind when you think about it? You persevere through a struggle. So this plane is a plane of struggle. The time in this world is a time of struggle, striving to be conformed to the image of Christ while the world tries to stop us from doing so. So we persevere through those trials and those struggles and those challenges. But perseverance when we are there in heaven with the Lord will no longer be needed. Why? Because we will be rewarded for our perseverance. It will be accomplished. You see? And the Lord promises to be with us and bring us through here so that we may be with him there. That's the greatest thing to look forward to when you think about heaven. He promises that he will give us what we need to bring us through our walk with him here. And he is going to prepare a place for us there. John 14, 1 through 3 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Once again, I forgot to change the slide. I'm sorry, you guys. So he's going to prepare a place for us, and he promises that we will be with him there eternally. He is going to prepare an individual place for each one of us. Heaven will be individual and unique for each believer. We'll finally be finished with this long battle that we are engaged in in the Christian walk. And there will be no worry. There will be no trouble. And the reason is because all of the cause of worry and trouble will be destroyed. All of that will be gone. We'll be set free from it. You see? So heaven is a place of perfect security. Heaven is also a place of perfect rest. There's an interesting quote from Spurgeon on this point. He says, Rest I know I never shall have beneath this sky, while Christ's church is as barbarous as it is. For the most barbarous of masters is the church of Christ. Now, if you read Charles Spurgeon, one thing you constantly get in his, the feel that you get from his sermons and his writings is a constant sense of joy and peace and celebrating his salvation in Jesus Christ. But every once in a while, he will come across with something that's, that's biting like this, that's a bit harsh. I'll share it again. He says, rest I know I, shall, I never shall have beneath this sky, while Christ's church is as barbarous as it is, for the most barbarous of masters is the church of Christ. And what he's talking about is Charles Spurgeon was engaged in the battle that few would be able to persevere through, especially few modern Christians in the day and age in which we live now. Spurgeon lived in the 1800s, but he was constantly attacked and ridiculed, and picked on by who? Mostly professing Christians. That's what he's referring to. And that's what happens so much in the Christian church today. I can tell you from my own experience, in my entire life, the most vicious, harsh attacks that I have ever endured have been from those professing to be Christians. And that's what wears Christians down. It's that battle that we're in that often comes from those that claim to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Spurgeon knew that very well. He was hounded by people that didn't agree with the doctrines that he preached, and his doctrines were biblical. But they didn't just try to correct him. They tried to destroy him. And that's what he's referring to here. 
So he knew he would never have true rest because of the pressures that he was under trying to correct what he could of a church that was sliding more and more into apostasy. And that's very much what we see today. This He, he was around over 100 years ago, and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse as time has moved forward. This world is one of trials, and it's one of struggles. We have to accept that. We have to face that. But one thing you have to understand, Christians are not to be idle. This is why I constantly preach against the idea of, you know, saying a sinner's prayer. Well, I believe in Christ. I accepted Christ. So I know uh, when I die, I'm going to heaven. And then you never think about it again until that day. That's not the Christian faith. You're not a true believer if that's your view. If you just, if you have been brought to follow Christ, you've been regenerated, born again in him, you automatically no longer live in idleness. You seek to serve, honor and do everything you can in the cause of Christ and to serve him. We're engaged in service. It's our way of life. And also we are soldiers behind enemy lines. We always have to remember that Christianity is war. We are soldiers in the battle for souls. We are also aliens sojourning in a foreign land. Christians are not in their natural habitat here. We go to a better country when we pass away and we go to be with the Lord, the place that we are meant to be. We look forward to that better country. The Lord, through his word, through the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit, gives us rest here in the midst of war. That's why we go to his word. That's why we spend time in prayer. That's why we, we spend time in, in Christian fellowship. Why? Because he gives us that spiritual rest that we need to nourish ourselves. George Mueller, if you read his biography, mentioned the fact that if he didn't spend time in prayer and study of the word, his soul began to feel parched and dry. I understand that. We live in a world uh, that can fill us, that can take over with so much busyness and so much distraction that sometimes we may slip a day or so where we're not in as, in as much prayer as we should be. We're not in the word the way we should be. And what happens? We start to feel like our souls are parched, that they're dry, that we need to give them those. Uh, we need to bring that river of living water back in that lifts us up, lifts our spirits and brings us back into communion with Christ. You see? So the Lord, through his word, through the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit, gives us rest here in the midst of war. And this rest is but a taste of the perfect, peaceful rest that we will have there. So when you've experienced those times, just think back over your Christian walk and those times where you've had a problem, you've been struggling, you felt uh, like something's just not right, your walk is not healthy. So you go to the Lord's word, you go to him in prayer. And the Holy Spirit comforts you and he opens your heart and your mind and your spirit to his truths and the word and you feel yourself revived. That's just a small taste of what we're going to be flooded with in heaven with him. This world is in overdrive now in its sinister efforts to keep the saints from the prayerful practice of seeking the rest of our souls. So just the rest that our souls so desperately need. The communion with the Lord that we so desperately need as the world around us slides further into chaotic insanity. Folks, we are living through one of the most insane, ridiculous times in history right now. The entire world has been told to just shut down. Economies are being destroyed. 
People are seeing worldly security just disappear. You see, nobody really knows what's going to happen in the coming months and years because things are so insane right now. You see, but we can have heavenly comfort. We can have heavenly rest now. And if we seek that in the Lord, it will give us the strength that we need to persevere through the trials that we are going through now. Jesus gives us rest as the storm rages around us. And the rest he gives us fills our hearts with the blessed hope of the eternal rest that we will have in eternal in eternity with him. So use this time of trial, use this time of confusion and insecurity and insanity as a time to grow in the Lord. How do you do that? You refuse to be insecure. You, re- you refuse to live in fear. You refuse to accept lies. And you say, I'm going to strive to know what the truth is of the circumstances around me. And I'm going to address that truth. How? From a gospel perspective. If that's how you face things, these things won't shatter you, won't shake you. You will move forward in the cause of Christ even as the world around you spirals out of control. But that's just a glimpse of the eternal peace that we will have in Christ. Why? Because heaven is a place of perfect rest. All these battles that we have to fight now will be done. We don't have to worry about them anymore. Heaven is a place of uninterrupted service. Remember I said Christians are not idle. Our lives become lives of service to the Lord, to his church, and to the world in the proclamation of the gospel. Look at John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Folks, the highest calling and the greatest enjoyment comes from being engaged in the service of Jesus Christ. People that are in genuine Christian ministry often ask themselves, why do I continue to move forward with what I'm doing in ministry, even though I get abused so much for it? Why? Because there's a joy in it that you find in nothing else. See, when you're in Christ and you start serving him, nothing else comes close. So you just want to serve more and more and do more and more. That's why people are able to persevere in the cause of Christ. You see? Here, our service is interrupted by the limits of mortality. See, here we have to take a time to sleep. You see? We're interrupted. We're trying to serve, and we're constantly interrupted by the things of this world. We have limitations placed on us because of our physical limitations, because of the the buffeting of this world and the hindrances of this world. Here we are always pushing against the resistance of a fallen world. The world resists the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our service is always limited and hindered from what we would really like to be able to do. It's just a fact of life in Christian service here. There, in heaven, our service will flow like an unstoppable river, and the satisfaction of working and serving will be complete. See, a lot of people picture heaven as this place where, you know, we die and we sort of become like angels and we just float around in heaven and we're just, you know, enjoying the Lord all day. We're going to enjoy the Lord, but I believe we're active, we're engaged, we're serving, 
when we're at rest with the Lord. And then on the final day after judgment day, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, we will be heavily engaged in serving the Lord for eternity. And it will be a work that's beyond anything you can understand here. It will be stimulating and uplifting and glorious. You see, that's what heaven's all about. Quote from Spurgeon here, you will never know much of the enjoyments of heavenly glory until you know a little of the work of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Anybody that's engaged in true Christian ministry understands that quote. If you understand a little of the work of the kingdom here on earth, you get a glimpse of the satisfaction and the joy that we will have working for and serving the Lord eternally in heaven. You see? So again, prefigures and shadows of what is to come are what we're blessed with here. Heaven is a place of complete victory and glorious triumph. Here we are on a battlefield. There is complete victory and triumph. There, the war is won. We no longer have to strive for victory. We know the victory is assured. Christ had the ultimate victory on the cross. That victory will be completed in eternity with him, the battle will be won, so we don't have to get up every day and we're and, and, and engage in battle. We will celebrate the victory in eternity. Look at Ephesians 6, uh, 11 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul tells us clearly that if we are Christians, we're we're serving Christ, we're following him, we are in battle. Take up the whole armor of God. But when we go to be with him, that battle is completed. We've won. The war is over, you see? And the important point to remember here, too, is we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Those forces are growing stronger in the age in which we live right now. That's why the world is spiraling out of control, because the battles going on in the heavenly realm are heating up, and we are drawing closer to that final day of judgment when the Lord returns. You see, that's why things are happening the way they are. Here we are soldiers. There we are victors. Look at Romans 8.37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He guarantees us that we will conquer, we will persevere, and we will have the ultimate victory. Every Christian is a soldier and is to be engaged in the battle for souls, in the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every Christian, you see? And one point I want to make here, folks, so many Christians think sitting in front of a computer and sharing something on Facebook or some kind of social media is engaging in the cause of the gospel. Maybe it is, but I don't think it is that much. What we need to do is be out caring for people, loving for people, loving people, serving for people, going to people that have not heard the gospel, going to Christians that are suffering and caring for them. That's what we are to do as Christians. It's very easy nowadays to sit behind a computer screen and engage in debate, apologetics, or whatever it is uh, through social media and think that we're serving the Lord. I can tell you from years, uh, I wasted 
a couple of years trying to do that online and bore very little fruit from it. The fruit is born when we go out into the world sharing the gospel. Can those tools be used if we use them wisely? Yes, but they are not a substitute for going out into the world and sharing the gospel face to face with people. You see, the greatest satisfaction I get is when I go to Kenya because I get to be with people that are lost, share the gospel with them. I get to be with people that are saved and help them in the things they're struggling through. I get to be with pastors who are on the ground every day trying to reach the lost and care for the church and serve them face to face, brothers in Christ. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. So don't let modern technology take you away from the interaction that's required in the proclamation of the gospel and being a soldier for Christ. Now, some soldiers in a battle are doing what? They're on the front lines. They're in the trenches fighting the battle face to face. Some of the soldiers are are maintaining the supply lines, making sure that those on the front lines have what they need, the ammunition they need, the food they need to continue the battle that they're engaged in. Some are providing through prayer and offering. No soldier can go to battle if someone's not providing what is needed for their needs while they're engaged in the battle. And some are exposing imposters. You know, part of war is finding if there's a spy in your midst. That's very important in the modern church because we have a lot of imposters posing under the name of Christ that need to be exposed and cast out of the church. Every Christian is a soldier. That's not an exhaustive list. I could go on and on. But you have to realize that you are part of the body of Christ and we all serve a specific purpose. But quite often it seems like those that are in the trenches on the front lines become visible And everybody else sort of just sits back watching them. We need the support of those on the supply lines, those that are supplying what is needed so that we can continue in the battle. You see, it has to be a cohesive unit, just like an army. Our battles are on the personal front and on the corporate front. What do I mean by that? On the personal front, we're always engaged in the battle. We have to battle against temptation. We have to battle against fear. We have to battle against uh, not wanting to persevere. The things that we struggle with personally in the flesh. Corporately, we we have to battle with our concern and our care for the body of Christ on the corporate front. So we're involved as Christians in, in two battles, really. It's all the same battle. It's all the same war, but we have to fight our personal battles to strive to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we have to be engaged in the battle that we have because we are concerned, we care for, and we love the church, the body of Christ. So there's different fronts that we have to be engaged in. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. I've shared this before in other sermons. I believe men are born with a sense of battle. That's why men love to watch cowboy movies. That's why they love war movies. There is something about the male psyche, the male makeup, that enjoys being engaged in battle. It gives us focus. It gives us clarity. It gives us singleness of purpose. And in Christ, we're engaged in the ultimate battle, the battle for souls, the battle against good, good, good over evil the battle against righteousness over sin, you see? Celebrate the fact that you can be involved in such an amazing battle, in an amazing war. 
Heaven is a place of complete acceptance with God. We just got to the core of the gospel here. Heaven is a place of complete acceptance with God. Recognized and felt in the conscience. See? What is the blessing of the gospel? When you first hear the gospel, if you're a sinner, what does it do? We're all sinners. What does the gospel first do? Convicts us of our sin. It's not fun. You realize that you are a hopeless sinner in rebellion against God, despicable and sinful. There's no way you can approach God because he is perfect and holy. The beginning of that gospel message is not a fun one, you see? And we realize that we need to be reconciled with God if we're ever going to have true peace and joy and happiness. But we cannot be reconciled to God. The only way we can be reconciled to God is through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You see? My sister called me recently. And she had a question. Somebody had shared something with her and said, there's, there's two ways to get to heaven. There's two ways to be saved. We either live perfectly and sinlessly or we rely on the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, that sounds like it contradicts John 14, 6, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But it doesn't. There are two ways to get to heaven. You either live a perfect, sinless, holy life, and you adhere to God's law perfectly, or you rely on Jesus Christ who did those things. No human being has ever done option one. So everyone must rely on the perfect and holy righteousness of Jesus Christ. And through him, what do we have? Complete acceptance with God. Our sins are washed away. His blood cleanses us of all sin and iniquity. The stain is gone. And the Lord accepts us. Much of the joy of the saints comes from knowing that God holds no hostility toward us. We have complete unity with our creator. His love for us and ours for him is the ultimate blessing for us. Here we are blessed with a sense of the acceptance we have in Jesus Christ. We, we get a sense of that now as believers. There we will know complete acceptance untainted by any doubt or shadow. Anybody that's been a Christian for a while realizes that, you know, we try to stay up all the time, but the Christian walk is peaks and valleys, you see? Sometimes we feel like we're far from the Lord. Sometimes we feel like we're just right there with him. See, that's just part of living in this physical existence. But there, we will know that we are completely accepted by God. We are truly abiding in Christ. Because all the trappings that, we're, that hold us back here are gone. We've been set free from them completely. You see? Of all the joys we have here, and we'll have there the joy of God's complete acceptance, it must be the ultimate joy. You see? Think about all the things that we strive for on this plane, to have peace, security, happiness, joy. All those things are fleeting outside of Jesus Christ. And even when we're in Jesus Christ here, like I said, those things can still fluctuate. But there we will be completely uh, just filled with them, you see, completely filled with them. We will go from being an enemy of God to being adopted by God. Think of that. 
an enemy in total rebellion against God to actually being adopted into his family from being a rebellious prodigal to being able to sit at the family table feasting with our father. <clears throat> Look at the prodigal son parable. That's why Christ shared that beautiful parable with us. The son insulted the father. He wanted his inheritance before it was due, which was unheard of in that culture. Then he took it and he just blew it, living in the most sinful way he could imagine, completely contrary to everything the father stood for. But when the son came to the end of his rope and he came back, what happened? The father embraced him. That's what he does to us. So complete acceptance. And we go from condemnation to complete acceptance and love. It's awesome. So heaven is a place of complete acceptance with God. Heaven is also a state of great and glorious manifestations. Heaven is a place of great and glorious manifestations. What do I mean by that? Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What's Paul talking about here? He's saying, regardless of how healthy our walk is with Christ, regardless of how uh, spiritual, me, we, spiritual we may appear to be and how closely our communion is with the Lord, it's still dim. You see, it's still just a, a slight taste of what it's going to be like, because then we will see him face to face. You see, we'll see him face to face. Intellectually, we know him in part right now. All that we know of Christ comes through his word in scripture. 66 books by 40 authors, the Holy Bible. Everything we know about Christ now, he has shown us through his word. If you want to know who God is, you have to know who the son is. And if you want to know who the son is, you have to know through his word in scripture. But then we will know fully, even as we have been fully known. He knows us completely. We will know him fully when we go to be with him. What a what an amazing truth that is. We learn of Christ and see him through his word in scripture, but the image is dim compared to the to his great and glorious manifestation that we will be blessed with in his eternal presence. Think of that. His great and glorious manifestation that we will be blessed with in his eternal presence. Consider that everything beautiful in this world is a reflection of Christ in some way. Everything beautiful. You know, I love art, real art, not a lot of what passes for art nowadays is not art. I love art, especially classic art. And the reason I like it is because you see the striving of the artist, if they're a true artist, after the divine, they're trying to express something beyond their comprehension. Is what you see in beautiful art. They're trying to capture the essence of the divine. And honestly, they fail at it, but that art is still so much more beautiful than so much of the ugliness that we see in the world around us. But when we are with the Lord, it'll be like the ultimate. You see? Everything they've strived to capture through the centuries artistically will be manifested in Jesus Christ. You see? We will see his face. We will see him as he truly is, and we will be like him, free from sinful flesh, transformed in glory, transformed in his glory. The glimpses that give us such comfort and courage here will be manifested wholly there. Think about when you've gone through trials and struggles and losses, and you've prayed and you've sought the Lord and he's given you comfort. 
that will be that will be multiplied thousands of times over when we are with him. We'll have such comfort and courage that it will be beyond our understanding. We couldn't even grasp it on this plane. Communion with the Lord has got to be the great singularity of all joy, bliss, peace, calm, blessing, happiness, beauty, adoration. Think of that. All the best things, all the most beautiful things, he is the ultimate singularity of all of it. And that's what we will be with. We will, that's what we will experience with him eternity, in eternity. Look at Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Speaks a little bit to what I was just talking about. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul's saying, meditate on the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about there. And meditating on that will bring us through this time of trial and struggle here on this earth. It bring us through this uh, shadow of the valley of death by focusing on Christ. But when we're with him in heaven, uh, I don't. Even th- there's no way to explain what it's going to be like because it will be a beauty and a comfort and a joy and a peace beyond anything we even can comprehend right now. We have no reference on this earth to compare to what it's going to be like in the presence of Christ. I'm going to close with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, To be in heaven is to lean one's head upon the breast of Jesus. You have done it on earth, then you know what heaven is. To be in heaven is to talk with Jesus, to sit at his feet, to let our heart beat against his heart. If you have had that on earth, you have had some of the grapes of heaven. Charles Spurgeon beautiful picture that Spurgeon gives us there. But just think about that. All the knowledge that we try to obtain by studying God's word because we want to know more of Christ, that knowledge will just expand exponentially. You know, I've told people that I think the Bible, because of what it is, it is the word of God. When we are with him, his word will just just explode. There'll be so much more to it that we don't even scratch the surface of right now, you see? And the depth of the knowledge that we will have of Jesus Christ will just continue to grow over eternity. We will continually learn more and more of him. We will continually love him more and more. It will just be absolute bliss. That's why Paul just blatantly said, I would rather go to be with the Lord because he had he got a taste of that on that road to Damascus when the Lord came to him and showed him that amazing revelation. And he knew this is what I'm working towards. This is what I'm going towards. This is far better than anything this world can offer. So heaven is beyond our understanding. It's beyond our comprehension. And the greatest minds, the greatest Christian pastors in history have not even scratched the surface of what it's going to be like there, because the only way we can experience heaven is to raise out of this flesh and to get out of this existence that we're in here. The joy that we have here, the the, the, the communion that we have with the Lord here are tastes of what we're going to have eternity. You do not want to be in this world without Jesus Christ. It's too dark. It's too evil. It's too sinful and it's too lost. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. 
Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your word and your truth. And Lord, I ask uh, that each person that has heard this today or that will hear this message will come to meditate more on the topic of heaven, uh, come to realize more of how profoundly amazing it's going to be to have all of our questions answered, to have all of the shadows removed, uh, to know what it is to, instead of looking at a mirror dimly, to see you face to face. Lord, for those that are suffering, those that are depressed, those that are hurting, I ask that you would just show them a little bit of heaven, comfort them, strengthen them, give them direction and guidance. Uh, Lord, the world is such a crazy place right now, and I just ask you would bless each person that hears this to be a bright, shining light for you, and that we would engage more diligently in the cause of the gospel, and that we would persevere in the battle that we're engaged. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you guys for listening. If anybody wants to help this ministry, we're very much in need. Uh, we've changed our format because we're reaching more people online. I'm excited to be able to do this every Sunday, but the ministry needs support. If you'd like to help us, you can go to the way, the letter R122.org. Just go to the donate page. If you'd like to email us, you can email us at the way ministry church at outlook.com. Bye, Roz. Roz is watching from Nairobi. Eunice Mora, I think, is probably Nairobi as well, or Kenya. Terry, I hope you're doing good, buddy. Shayla, I love seeing you here. Everybody else that's watching, if you have any questions, feel free to email me, like I said, thewayministrychurch at outlook.com, and we will be back here again next Sunday at 12 noon. God bless you guys. <music>